0: This is the Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now, your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan
1: Nunez. Hello, listener. Thank you for joining Greg and I today for the Real Magic Design Podcast, where we unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs and work together to make design that's profitable. I am Alan from Pixel Partners HQ and here is my co-host greg from studio one design and we're both having a bit of a laugh on this intro aren't we greg
0: we decided to put the video on for this and yeah i I distracted al and he got through it after three attempts so well done there buddy no that's okay and and we were
1: going to do what we're up to but Greg is just so lazy that he didn't want to prepare anything. So
0: what we're actually going to do – So I thought I'd put you on the spot there, Greg. How does that sound? That's all right. That's good, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I just thought we've got a killer guest coming up, but I just wanted to get straight into it. Mate, I agree with you. Why don't you get him in here? right, today we have a very special guest and his name is Jason Skinner. He is a business advisor, a qualified accountant that runs his own CPA business over at SkinnerHamilton.com.au and he also has an awesome podcast over at BusinessMadeEasyPodcast.com. Jason is a client of mine and like me, he is obsessed with online business, marketing and he really values quality design and branding in his businesses, which is not surprising since he used to be a sign writer in a previous life. So first of of all welcome Jason Skinner. Hey thanks Greg great to be here mate how are you? Yeah really good buddy really good so um, yeah Jason first of all can you just share a brief story of how you went from being a sign writer to an accountant when most accountants say that that's a boring role and they usually pivot away from accounting and towards something more creative like sign writing.
2: Funny I I love signwriting. It was really, really great. But it, but it was actually um, this, is, this is I was only young at the, at the time. It was it was actually my girlfriend who um, was going off to the office every day, and she was all dressed up nicely in a suit, and they were sending her off on business trips everywhere and that sort of thing. And and I was sort of going off to work with my paintbrushes and lunchbox, <laughs> catching the train into the coal factory each day in Sydney to paint signs. And I thought, there's got to be a better way to life than this. <laughs> so I kind of just kept questioning why am I working here I want to be I just sort of wanted wanted more for life and I continued on working in sign writing for some time and did my apprenticeship and I, I noticed my boss actually then struggling in 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 his business he was always running out of money and never had money or anything like that and I just sort of I don't know I just sort of gravitated to looking for the answer to the question of I like business so I was really interested in business but gravitated sort of to, to wanting to know more about business more about working in an office and a professional environment so I sort of that's sort of gravitated from there I ended up working in Barclays Bank in Sydney and I couldn't go any further without a degree so I that's when I sort of transitioned over into the accounting space um, from from there yeah so, sort of a natural natural progression
1: oh yeah completely natural sign writing <laughs> to accounting <laughs> look I, I find that really I find it interesting that you, you know you talk about being interested in business right and this is the, this is the journey that has brought you to where you are and in particular Recently, you've, you've focused on the online business world. I mean, I remember reading some really interesting statistics from, from zero, and they were talking about, you know, it's basically the age of the micro business, the age of the online business, and online businesses can be big and small. What, what do you think the fundamental difference is between online and offline business?
2: For me, well, I see it firsthand. Being being involved with both now in the accounting space, I'm dealing with physical bricks and mortar businesses every day. The, the The fundamental thing I see that that I've noticed is that online businesses tend to be more open to change and really dynamic. It's a really dynamic environment. That's constantly searching for the quest of the next thing and 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 marketing tends to dominate the online business space like if you talk to any online business person they all they never they never really talk about cash flow as such but they talk about the next marketing thing or the next hey we should be over here on instagram or we should be here this is sort of that dynamic nature of it whereas bricks and mortar or your your typical small businesses don't tend to. They, they tend to be a bit laggard in that that area in terms of in terms of they're not really aware of all that stuff and they 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 tend to still be going and doing the same. That cash flow they look at more and all this sort of thing. There's a lot more discussion around that I find in the in the bricks and mortar type businesses. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but it's sort of. Yeah, it is a totally different environment. Yeah,
1: look, I think that's where I was going, you know, and I think you described it well. It's it is a totally different environment and I think because of that, the nature of the way these businesses operate could well be fundamentally different. You know, a more traditional bricks and mortar business might have a more traditional P and L and cash flow, and you know, have things like you know a lease and and other things like that. Whereas the online business can have all remote staff. Um, it maybe doesn't have quite as many fixed overheads, but then invest that money into things like marketing, which are their you know their critical business infrastructure tools. You know, where you know vans and company cars and. Office space and and those kind of physical things may have been more the norm for offline businesses over the last couple of decades and and that dynamic is really changing. Uh, just one quick follow on question: There, do you see many traditional offline businesses attempting to make that move? I mean, both Greg and I were more traditional offline businesses. One of a, once upon a time with you know lots of bricks and mortar and. And that sort of structure and now we're a lot more fluid is that something that's happening or do you think there's a great divide between those two businesses business models
2: i think i think the divide is still great between them alan i really do but i think it's closing and and they are now the discussions i'm having and i don't know whether it's because i'm now in that space and i'm sort Mm. of bringing that discussion to the table with clients. But we are having a lot more discussion around, you know, hey, how can we get more efficient at this? How can we offshore this? How can we scale this down or, or, you know, get rid of these overheads? And there are a lot more discussion around digital sort of delivery of goods and services and scaling of goods and services through digital means. I was talking to an air conditioning company just the other day. Now, there's, a, there's an absolute... Brick and mortar business. If you've seen one, um, they have to go around, and these guys go around and install air conditioning units. and And we we had a discussion around automating their service process because at the moment they have absolutely no automated follow up service sequence to go and service these units once they put them in. It's sort of really reactive. When the customer rings with a problem, they go out and fix it. So we had this discussion around: what if we put them on a regular, you know, infusion to soft type. Automated sequence type thing where they click when they click this, this happened and when we click this, this happened, and they were sort of blown away by what you can do that. you know it's kind of yeah. so th- this is where this is where I think a lot of the discussions are coming in. and then there's a lot of people just throwing money. The other side of it is is the marketing, and there's a lot of people just throwing money at social media like Facebook ads because they've heard that Facebook ads are the only way to make money now and get new customers, and they've got no real strategy behind it. Mm-hmm. They're actually just they're just going, oh, I've got to be on Facebook. I've got to be paying for ads on Facebook because that's where it is. Well, yeah, it might be, but is your audience over there on Facebook or are they all over on LinkedIn or are they like, where's your strategy behind it? And that's what's lacking, I believe, in the physical bricks and mortar space is that strategy.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more because, yeah, obviously Facebook is only just affordable now in some cases. In a lot of cases, it's not for advertising. And and it's going to get more expensive. So you do need that strategy. And you obviously then just need to send people to, you know, landing pages that are designed with psychological drivers and designed professionally and all those things that are going to help influence people take action. But yeah, to me, it's more of a long game, especially for an offline business where they really shouldn't expect a sale straight away. They should, and I guess this is a challenge with most businesses that go from offline to online is it's a different mindset. It's more a long game and it's all about building trust, you know? And I think when people have an offline business, they just think, oh, they get a phone call and they get the job. But online, it's all about building trust. And therefore I see that as a challenge for the mindset of an offline business to go to an online business. And one thing I wanna sort of dive deeper into, into your challenges, Jason, and when you sort of pivoted and you still you still run both businesses, but yeah, what what other challenges did you have going from an offline to an online business? And you know, did you have to learn a whole bunch of new tools and techniques and you know and how to run a podcast and a community and all these new things?
2: The learning curve, I've got to say, it's 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 been uh, totally vertical, um, yeah. Greg, and it's it's it really is. an answer to that question, I'm working sort of at the moment. I'm working seven days a week, but but by choice too. You know, um, I've got I a passion it. for yeah. it. Um, yeah, I've got a passion, and it's you know it's it's largely my hobby, and I'm fascinated by the where it can go. But in a practical sense, I guess the, the challenge has been. Traditionally, I'm in a service-based business, a professional services-based business, and the philosophy has always been, you know, customer comes in, has a problem. Well, I'm not going to give you any advice until you sort of pay me so many uh, dollars per every ten minutes. You know, it's a it's a real reactionary model because I'm guarding my IP all this knowledge that i have in my head and i've been learning over the years I, yeah i can help you but but when you agree to pay me x dollars per per 10 minutes and the digital space is not like that if if you went out to the digital space and actually said look i've got something here and i'm not going to give it i'm not you're not going to tell you anything about it but just yeah. give me the just give me the money you know yeah uh, yeah. it would last um you wouldn't even no one would be even listening to you and and i think there's a couple of reasons for that and the main one being that the the customer now is so informed and so educated with with the research that they have available to them through google etc that that they're coming to you with an informed that they're coming to you informed and they've got uh, they're spoilt for choice, you know. You, you, you can't be like that in the digital space. You've got to offer your best value first mm. and and show them how much value you can offer. And if that's the free stuff, you know, what's the, what's the, the paid stuff like, you know, if you're that helpful? Um, so that's one aspect. And the other aspect for me has been the community side of building a community in the digital space. Typically in the accounting space, we haven't really worked focused on building those communities in our practices they're just clients coming in needing problems we help them and sort of sausage machine type effect with the digital space it's it's really and and saw it firsthand over at um, social media marketing world and digital um, traffic and conversion this this concept of community and how important it's around your brand now in the digital space you've really got to be doing that
1: your use of the word strategy in in business and and forward thinking is probably the biggest challenge that most business owners are, are going to deal with and and I look I say this because I've been there right you know we 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 tend to operate our businesses in more of a tactical manner so like you said a customer comes in the tactic is get them to you with the problem and then charge them for the solution where you know today's business is all about delivering value well before they ever uh, become a customer and in some cases you know uh, people say to me oh but if you give all this stuff away for free what are you gonna charge them for and i, and I always say well you give this stuff away for free, you'd be amazed how many, I mean, a certain amount of people will take that information and use it and try and do it themselves. But there is a big proportion out there that will go, well, it's great that I know that now, and this person delivered it to me, which I'm really grateful for, but I don't want to do it myself. I just want to trust the person who I'm handing it to. You know, So it's, it is a mindset change, it's a long-term strategy. And you know, we, we do a lot of work in, uh, e-commerce and Amazon, and I'm seeing traditional bricks and mortar wholesalers who would traditionally sell to retail stores and then the retail stores sell to the end customer, really struggling with this concept of long-term value deliverable and being strategic and staying on track with the strategy. You know, it's very easy to to fall back into the old uh the old tactical habits. And and I think, you know, that kind of leads me to my next question, which is the old tactical had, habits had a had a return, right? I give you this solution, you pay my bill, right? So there's this instant gratification, I, I guess, when, once you've done that work. Whereas being more strategic, you need to think about the long-term profits and how that builds. Because uh, I don't know what your opinion is, but I think uh, I think that if you do this over time, your profit is going to be far greater than what you're getting out of a purely tactical business. Does, does that make sense? I think I lost a question in there.
2: No, <laughs> I, 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 I totally agree, Alan. And, and I think if I can add to that is, yes, you've got to be tactical and tactical is the critical word. The same principles apply in business. So at the end of the day, you want money in your bank account. Otherwise, you know, giving away all the value and giving away all that without that end goal of actually having money fall into your bank account, I reckon you're not going to get too far down the road. So I think that word tactical and strategy is, is vital in online business in the sense that it's just a different delivery method instead of the reactionary method that we we're talking about with physical, with the ver- with the digital space, yes, you've got to be giving the value. Yes, you've got to be doing that, but there still has to be a profit at the end of the day. And you sh- so that's where your strategy comes in. Like, yeah, I'm going to give this value. Yeah, I'm going to help. I'm going to take you on this journey. I'm going to build you around my brand. I'm going to build this community around my brand. And then we're going to have a transaction and that money is mm. going to fall into my account. But, but I'm not going in into this with the view that I only want the money now. You know, give me the money now and then I'll help you.
0: Yeah, it's a really good point. I think that would be the biggest challenge for an offline business to to start marketing online because it's a lot of investment up front. But yeah, if you don't have that, the overall strategy and you just do the tactics, you're not gonna win. So really good point. All right, Jason, I just want to sort of switch gears a little and get you to put on your CPA hat and talk a, a bit about the importance of the metrics that a small business owner should be focus on, focusing on in their business.
2: Look, a lot of people focus on sales and then they go they go in the day we're got to get more sales got to get more sales got to get more sales yeah there sales are important it's, it's, if we haven't got customers in the door or haven't got online or whatever we're not selling selling things we're, we're not we're not going to get out of the gate but the actual focus for me I t- I tend to flip it on its head before we get to that sales discussion let's work out exactly what we need to 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 live on or not so much live on. Well, what are our goals, our end goals in terms of profit? What do we need as profit to drop out of this business? And you really have to start with that discussion and say, well, because, you know, you might say, oh, I need a million dollars in sales. Well, you may not need a million dollars in sales. You might only need $500,000 in sales to achieve what it is that you need to achieve. So that's that's my first thing. I'd have that discussion around what, what's what's the actual uh, so flip it on its head and sort of work out what's the bottom line that we actually need to drop out so i would work back from there and then say well okay well what if that's the profit that we need well, obviously we're going to pay tax on that so what's the tax we're going to pay so add that to the to the profit and sort of work backwards up to come up with a sales figure so that's kind of the first first bit of work i would do and then the second thing i would look at is Critically, cash flow. So many businesses, and I was only reading a statistic again from zero today. Alan, the statistic was something like 52% of businesses in Australia actually have a ca- positive cash flow, which is staggering, really, when you think that you know the other 48 are all um, <laughs> they don't have money going in their bank account; they've got more going yeah. out than they've got coming in. And and so many businesses focus on sales and profit, but they don't actually look at at, at cash flow. And cash flow is probably the, the, the if you haven't got it, there's a, that many profitable businesses out there that have gone broke, just you purely lack of, of cash flow. And just another quick statistic on that, about 82% of American businesses that fail are all because of lack of cash flow. That's, wow. that's the the main reason cited for, for lack of, of for, for them failing. So, and that comes down to doing an actual cash flow plan and looking at your cash flow cycle. So that's – and when we talk about cash flow cycle, we're talking about the, the – and I won't bore you with the nitty-gritty of it, but in broad terms, it's basically the day, from the day we spend our first dollar, so we actually pay out a dollar. How long does it take for that dollar to go through buying the goods, bringing them into our, our store or business, selling the goods? invoicing the customer and then money coming back into the bank so that's what we call our working capital cycle and it's like fuel in your car if you if you if you've got a the bigger your profit gets that's like having a bigger car the bigger the car the, the more petrol you need to get to the next service station so yeah you know and that's that's and if you think of each service station as a sale you know if a, if a service station is two days down the road we need to have at least two days worth of fuel in our tank to get down there so that's the way I look at cash flow and, and it's, a, it's a critical metric and the third third big one that I, I look at is margin and make, uh, what sort of margin are we making on each transaction that we're selling because if there's not enough fat in the sale, it means you've got to sell more to actually make the profit that you're looking to make. and. If you've got to sell more, that requires more resources, more energy, more time, more marketing, more—you know—a lot of overhead cost goes into each sale. So you need to make sure that you've got good margins in whatever it is that you're selling and and improving those margins. So that's the that's probably the, the the top three that I would look at. Look, I,
1: I, it never ceases to amaze me how many businesses are turning over huge amounts of money, and either not making making very little profit, not making any profit. Or actually making a loss. I mean, I, I was part of a team many, many years ago who was brought in to help a company that was a small business, you know, turning over eleven million dollars a year and not making a cent, you know, and and like you said, cash flow was a massive problem. I mean, they had this astronomical debtors ledger, and I, and I don't understand why, but maybe it's the lack of a plan, the the stuff that you're talking about. But it's almost like some businesses have an inherent fear or inability. To just charge up front, you know they have uh, maybe you know past expectations or, or, or whatever it might be. But I think the whole concept of planning for your for your profit is astronomical. Most business owners come up with the product first, they put a rough markup on it, they start selling it. And they don't know. They don't know what the end outcome is is in the plan. They just hope they're going to sell enough to be profitable and grow. And unfortunately, only a small percentage really do end up making the profit and growing. So to help out our listeners, if they don't have a profit plan, is there like a system or a tool that you might recommend that they could sort of i don't know plug some numbers in and get some insights into to where they stand now and help them make a plan
2: there's a lot of free stuff on the on the internet itself in terms of working out this stuff the the best way to to do it look you can't go by and, and i'm not plugging my services but but anyone like go to anyone that can sit down and talk you through actually strategizing what's going on in your business because you really need to like it's like zero makes zero makes it really easy and quickbooks etc make it really easy to do your books and your bookkeeper does your books or your accountant prepares your tax return that is all pretty well useless information it's 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 what we call history taking what we want to be is more history making and and in our approach so we want to be actually getting that data and actually analyzing it so we can set the strategy all right well these are the metrics what's driving these results Okay, and, and if, to take your point on cash flow, debtor days, there's a huge one. You can measure the actual amount of days that it's taking to collect your money. If you reduce that by two or three days in a lot of instances, you'll see a profound difference in your bank account. A lot of people don't realize that if I collect my money just two to three days faster than, than what I currently am, just the impact that will have on your on your bottom line. So I, I would suggest coming up with, for a business or for a listener, to come up with a list of key performance indicators that drive the results in their business. So every business will have different ones depending on their margins and what they're they're selling, etc. But but you certainly should come up with a list of critical drivers and review them regularly and keep an eye on them so that you know what's going on because it's like a dashboard. You can see what's going on and, and you can adjust accordingly.
1: Yeah, and and it's interesting. Some of those those key performance indicators may not actually be sales figures because by the time you see – even by the time you see the sales figures – And even if they're live, it it could be too late. So, you know, a friend of ours, uh, James Shramco, he talks about monitoring things like sign-ups to his newsletters, right, and how many people have listened to his podcast and how many people are signing up to his community because he knows that when those numbers drop, in the future, his sales are going to drop. So, you know, it, it could be something like, you know, how many people are, are, are opening your emails? I'm using that as one because I'm sure a lot of business owners send emails, you know, and it, and if it's not working, turn it off and, and find a metric that does actually relate to, to your business. I think too many business owners are looking at the wrong at the wrong things because they they they're so used to that historical data. Um, same thing that company that I was talking about, the eleven million dollar company. We got our the sales team got the marketing reports six months after the marketing activity, mm. which was useless. You know there was it it yeah it completely irrelevant to the team at the time. So yeah, go and see. Look, you know people think accountants are just there to you know sort out major financial issues and and do your taxes. But a relationship with a great accountant or a great financial advisor pays dividends. You know, it can can save you falling into some, some pretty big
2: potholes. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You you need and you need someone that you can relate to in terms of. And you, look, it's quite easy. It's the business side. If you go in and they say, look, we'll just do your tax and that that's all we're going to do for you, you you know pretty well you're in the wrong spot. You really need someone who's going to talk to you around these numbers and the the drivers of your business and what's going on in your business and start asking those critical questions. That's that's how I would. Gauge it and look at it, and you're right. They they are not sales figures that you're looking at. The sales figures are just a byproduct of doing the other activities right. So if you're getting your your email signups and your member sign ups, etc., and you are convert and you are measuring your conversions of those, and you are measuring these other things, that's where the dollars are going to drop out, and that's that's how you that's how you get successful.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, so just on that, like I, I see my bookkeeper once a week and we go over our books and then I see my accountant once a quarter to plan for the, you know, for the next quarter essentially. And, and then, you know, for the overall tax year, we, we do that once a year as well. But yeah, what would you recommend? Sort of how, frequent, how frequently do you think you should see, a, see your accountant or, um, you know, business advisor?
2: But the way I the, the way I approach it is, is, well, firstly, the answer to your question is quarter, quarterly, quarterly is good. Quarterly sort of gives you, it, it's sort of not too far down the track that if something's amiss or you, you need to make adjustments, y- you can. Monthly is a little bit, some people do, do prefer monthly. I find monthly a little bit too short a time period to really see what's going on, because you might implement some sort of change. But you know, you're not really going to see any great results necessarily in a a month and the months go so fast as you know. So quarterly quarterly is a good level. The way I do it is I actually have a half day strategic planning day with a person uh, first so that we actually set we get it all out on the table so that we know what we're – it's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle, like putting all the pieces out on the, onto the table and moving them around, getting a, getting a picture of what, what it is that we need to be looking at and then uh, and where we need to be heading, set the vision, set the strategy ahead, and then meet quarterly and make adjustments from there. And then, you know, 12 months time, you have another strategic how, – how are we going? Has the environment changed? What's moving now? What's – you know, so it's a sort of set and then adjust as you go along sort of strategy.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. And just on that, like listener, if you do need an accountant, I mean, check out Jason's website, Skinner Hamilton, and, and just reach skimmerhamilton.com.au and just reach out to Jason if you've got any questions, because you can tell from the value that he's delivering on this call, he really knows his stuff. And yeah, I think when I change my accountants recently, like about a year and a half ago now, the difference is night and day from having an accountant that doesn't forward plan compared to one that does. So yeah, cool. All right. Well, Jason, so, yeah, just on that. So, we've talked a little bit about metrics and, and you know, sort of um, what what to look out for. What other metrics do you think people should be focusing on, like, um, you know, that are going to help drive profitability?
2: Those are sort of the main ones, Greg, but the, the thing that I would say is that we, you can very easily get in a, in a rut where you don't sort of stick your head up and actually look where you're heading. And, you know it's busy you, you start off with this passion and, and drive and you're going to shoot the lights out with whatever whatever it is that you're, you're buying and selling and, you know, things come up and problems, et cetera, and you get busy, busy, busy and working and you don't actually take the time to stick your head up and actually look where you're going and look where you are. You might think working, it's its the old school, you know, our parents brought us up to just if you work hard, you'll get there, you know, just keep working hard. But I don't think that really applies so much anymore. I really think it's about working smart, working with strategy and, and just keeping focus of the vision and where you actually want to go because you can work a lot of hours and uh, and still not be happy at the end of the end of the day or be, or be where you want to be yeah I love that
1: yeah and time really does pass very quickly when you get into that that time that mindset of I'm busy and the sad thing is a lot of people can go a long long time before they actually realize that it's not quite where they they need it to be you know
2: busy doing what you know like oh, I'm busy yeah but what <laughs> exactly <laughs> busy 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 achieving my goals or busy just working like it's it's like yeah. what's what's the future look like for you you know years go so fast Alan like I'm 48 years young now and and I just go like geez I've, I've got so much to do you know but I always have to check in with myself to say, "Yeah, but why? <laughs> why have you got so much? To- why? Why is that going to get you further to where you want to be?"
1: Yeah, and and you hear it all the time. I'm very efficient. My business is efficient, but is it effective? You know, are you getting out of it what you really need to get out of it? Look, a little bit of a a side note question here. You know, how important is it in a in a business to have you know, really well-documented things like, you know, succession planning and, you know, and, and I think not just, I mean, people talk about succession planning, but other contingencies, you know, like what happens if your family situation changes? What happens if, you know, God forbid, either your business partner or your life partner was to fall ill or pass away? And even though maybe your life partner doesn't have a direct input in the business, you know, or, or you got ill. Like, how important is, is it to have this stuff? Because I think a lot of business owners keep this stuff very close to themselves and nobody else really knows what's going on.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I just did a podcast episode on it recently. But, but it's just, it's the one thing we just don't like to talk about, you know. we, we No one likes to sort of have a use-by date on them. And, and, and sort of certainly when you – there's that – fear of talking about it you know it's almost like realizing it and bringing it to <laughs> bring it to reality that but the fact is we are all going to pass away and and we are all in business with with uh other people and other family members etc and as entrepreneurs we're creating we're creating uh potential problems for people down the track if we don't, we've got a responsibility to actually make sure that that's well looked after and and addressed so i kind of Advocate to people to really um, make sure, A, that your estate planning is always up to date, like make sure that your wishes are well documented. I think the best one I've ever seen, because I see it firsthand in practice all the time, you know, and I have one just recently where um, just quickly the, the the lady came in and, um, and her husband passed away suddenly and he just hadn't had any documentation up to date and it left her with a real... Problem, You know, she was thinking things were going to go to her and, and where they were all going to go and how it was all going to happen. Ended up costing us a fortune in uh, legal fees and stress for her right at an emotional time. So I think, you know, there's that aspect of business and entrepreneurship. We do have a responsibility to make sure that things are well documented, up to date. Our intentions are clear. We're not leaving anyone with a, a burden that they they don't want is is also um, important, and systems and procedures, which is another area we could talk about for four years, but systems and procedures in your business to make sure that um, if you do fall ill, the whole place doesn't fall around, fall down around you, and that's whether you're on, online or offline. Like I know in the online space, I I see that that is a huge potential area for people to, to fall down in procedures because they um, you know it's it's just them, you know, they just think oh it's just me doing this doesn't really matter but it's not at the end of the day
0: no you definitely need a team and yeah you need to uh yeah have processes for people to follow that's for sure so all right look we're we're getting close to the end of the time here jason i just want to sort of touch on one other thing and that is investing like i I see a lot of businesses that they might go really well and then they go really bad and they might be up and down but if they had have invested earlier then they could have ride you know sort of ridden out those storms and to me what i like to do is concentrate on my overall net Wealth, you know, so I won't go out and buy a car that's you know going to depreciate and things like that. You know, I'll try and keep that stuff to a minimum. So, yeah, have you got any advice on sort of when a business should start investing and, and you know how soon and, and how much uh, is there a percentage that it should be thinking about putting into their future growth of their net wealth?
2: You should always, I, I believe also, always having contingencies built in. So, um, you know, we should always be, say, planning for our tax. We should always be calculating the tax projections ahead and making sure that that cash is being put aside, taken out of our working capital. So the, the business is generating enough working capital to, A, keep the business going, but also meet the tax commitments and, and things along the way. That's probably the first uh Pothole that people fall into, yeah. but but um, secondly, then in terms of an actual percentage, it really comes down to the business and what your your requirements are. I would say this that you you know if you've got a, a big computer network or you've got a, a fairly substantial uh, infrastructure or anything like that, then you really need to be looking at well, that's only got a lifespan of X, so I'll start providing and putting that money aside now in a in a reserve fund for that, so to keep you know keep up with um, maintenance and replacement and all that sort of thing and then in terms of actual growth of your own personal wealth i think that comes down to your budgeting and and fact when when i said at the, the start there about determining how much profit you need and how much money you need to come out of the business i think you should really factor into that equation how much you actually want to invest and and how much you want to be able to need as a safety net
0: and retire on
2: exactly yep yeah. all those all those things come in so i want to put x amount into super and i want yeah. my super to do x x x percent return okay well that's that's one that's another business in itself running your super you know it's it's yeah. all these things need to be considered when, when i'm talking about setting the profit expectations of the business or engineering that profit expectation i'm talking about taking all that into consideration so it's not just oh how much do i need to spend at woolies this week it's it's <laughs> it's, it's it's all that how much do i want to put in savings how much do i need for contingencies super yeah etc so
1: look thanks jace the stuff you've shared today has just been you know absolutely fantastic i really am grateful that you came on the show and you you gave this knowledge away freely i mean it's a it's very very generous uh, of you and i'm sure our listener uh, appreciates it And sometimes we ask just at the end if if you had one killer tip that you'd love our listener to take away what would it be
2: Killer tip is for me is persistence and planning and I guess taking action. I guess I don't know if you count that as three, but I do those three (laughs) all together. But yeah, that's been that's made a profound difference to me, particularly being having two business. Businesses, both an online and an offline business, I really I've found that the the time uh, I've been doing the Miracle Morning sort of routine, getting up at four a.m. and planning and diary journaling and stuff, and really getting clear about what it is I want to achieve, it just helps you focus when problems come up and situations arise in your business. You know, you really you're just equipped to handle it, and it keeps you on track, it keeps you focused, and keeps you keeps you pushing the needle in the right direction. So that would be the one for me because um, it just helps in so many aspects of, of entrepreneurship, yeah.
0: Killer tip, yeah, love that. Well, thank you very much, Jason. And, yeah, listener, I would highly recommend you check out Jason's podcast at excuse me, businessmadeeasypodcast.com. All right. It's a killer podcast. I listen to it myself. And yeah, what I love about Jason is the fact that, you know, he's all about helping businesses, but he has that CPA background. So he has some really good skills for giving you techniques to, you know, sort of to talk about in more detail, roughly what we've talked about on this episode. So go check it out at businessmadeeasypodcast.com. So Jason, thanks again for joining us on The Real Magic.
1: Thanks for having me. Listen, I hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye from Greg and I. Thanks for listening to The
0: Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.